Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Tenkara Cast, where you're going to be listening to a Japan cast, where I take my podcast on the road、uh, as I travel around Japan in search of Tenkara. In search of Tenkara is a tagline or a, a title kind of thing that I came up with years ago、uh, because I started doing this pilgrimages to Japan. This is my ninth time visiting the country. And you know, I wasn't sure exactly what it is that I was looking for. So before I went on a trip, I was asking myself, okay, what is it that I'm trying to learn? What is it that I want to bring to our readers, our listeners in America and around the world? And you know, I realized that I was really searching for what exactly I wanted to get out of Tenkara. Was it simplicity? Was it a super efficient way of catching a lot of fish? Uh, was it more than that? So here I am back in Japan,、uh, ninth trip. This time I'm visiting Hokkaido to start,、uh, and I'm here in search of Tenkara. Right now I'm sitting on a, in a hotel room on the shores of Lake Akan. So Lake Akan is on the far northeastern、uh, part of Hokkaido.、Uh, it's pretty much pretty far up northeast in Japan. It's almost as far northeast as you can get. And there's a few lakes around Le-、uh, Lake Akan. And this is in the Kushiro、uh, prefecture,、um, or not prefecture, but in the Kushiro district, if you will. So, Kushiro is the name of the airport、uh, that I actually flew into、uh, three days ago. And then we've just kind of been, we head a little bit northwest of there. And we've been hanging around this mountain area、um, that really reminds me a little bit of the eastern part, northeastern part of the United States, coincidentally,、uh, or maybe not coincidentally. You know, that's、uh, usually how geography or geology kind of works. Oftentimes, in the eastern part of countries, you might have、uh, older mountains that are a little bit not as tall, that are a little bit more rounded, a little bit more worn out.、Um, and You know, this kind of reminds me a little bit of some country in like Vermont area, for example.、Uh, we have,、uh, there are a couple of big mountains around here, but it doesn't give you this jaw dropping mountain kind of views like we have in Colorado, for example, where we have relatively new mountains.、Uh, here we have more like a rolling kind of or rounded kind of mountains. And, you know, we stayed、um, in a town、uh, for a couple of Days we stayed in a town a little bit northeast of where I am right now. We stayed in the town of Tishikaga, and from there we kind of did a bunch of little trips to different rivers and streams and just been exploring the area trying to find large fish and different types of fish. So, the fish that we've been catching here the most have been rainbow trout. Um, I know it's an introduced species. I do have to research a little bit more on、uh, when they got introduced here.、Uh, but my understanding is that rainbow trout tend to be、uh, introduced species in this part, although I wouldn't be surprised if they are not、um, because you o k n we do get them in California and there's a Pacific coast that you know, both、uh, countries share. But I believe there are introduced species here. I'll have to research a little bit more. Um, and then we've also been catching different types of char.、Um, we caught a couple of iwana,、uh, which is you know, like a brook trout almost.、Uh, we also caught some dolly vardens.、Uh, you know, over here,、uh, they call those、uh, fish oshorokama. Sorry, Japanese is a hard language, and I'm going to be talking a little bit about that in a second. 
Oshorokoma, Oshorokoma. <laughs> there I am butchering Oshorokoma. That's the most complicated fish name I've run into in Japan, Oshorokoma. And that's a Dolly Varden. Um, and we've also caught some of the white spotted char. Um, and those are the Amemasu. So we just kind of used the town of Tishikaga as a home base for a couple of days, explored a bunch with a guide, and then today we moved to hotels. Uh, we're now in the Lake Akan area. And that's after a long day of fishing in a lot of rain. So the town of Tishikaga is pretty small. You know, it's a 7,000 uh, person town. Uh, again, it reminded me of some of the kind of smallish, middle, mid-sized towns in, uh, in New England kind of area. Uh, very green, very verdant. Uh, there are farms that run right into the into the foothills, and then the hills kind of start, and then it's all forest from there. So it's really beautiful, uh, verdant kind of area. Hokkaido is kind of like a you know known for being a little bit more wild. Uh, less populated, but there are a lot of farms here. There's a lot more space, open space available here in Hokkaido, I think, than a lot of other parts of Japan. So those tend to get filled up with farms. We've seen corn. Uh, we've seen chives and green onions. Uh, what else did we see? Um, wheat, uh, a lot of wheat here as well. So that's a few of the things that we saw growing in this area. Uh, in the last couple of days, you know, right now it's summertime, um, June 27th, so I guess officially summer, and but it does feel a little bit more like a really nice spring day uh, in much in the United States. Um, you know, like it kind of reminds me of weather in California when uh, when it's a little rainier. Um, so the last couple of days, the temperatures have probably been in the 70s uh, for the most part, like high 60s, low 70s. Uh, warm in the sun, kind of chilly in the shade a little bit. And for two days, it threatened to rain. You know, it's kind of cloudy a little bit, uh, but we avoided rain until today. And then today, the luge came down. <laughs> uh, so... For the last couple of days, we had terrific fishing weather. Uh, today, not so much. We still did fish, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so, kind of, you know, it is rainy season here in Japan. So, sometime in June, usually the rainy season starts, June, early July. Um, so, we've been kind of very lucky, actually, that we had some good weather with us. The water... Um, you know, has been very nice. Um, we have run into a huge variety of types of waters here, not unlike any, really any part that has trout in the United States. Uh, if you drive a little bit, you find some um, very tight mountain streams. You go a little bit lower, you find some of the, the main rivers, you know, some of the, the primary rivers that can be 60, 80 feet wide. Um, and they can feel just like something in Montana. So the variety of waters here has been quite incredible. I'll be uploading some photos in a day or two uh, from my better camera. I have to get a, a card reader before I can do those, uh, the better photos. Um, but you'll see there's a huge variety of water. We've fished um, small and big. We've also fished very clear water. We've also fished murky water. Um, we've also, in terms of 
bugs, huge variety of bugs like anywhere. Uh, we've seen a little bit of a caddis hatch. We've seen mayflies going off, um, small and large. So a huge variety of things. And that's one thing where oftentimes people think of Japan and they think of small fish, small streams, not a lot of bugs, very clear water. And yes, there's a huge abundance of that. Uh, but part of, I think, of what I wanted to be here for uh, and try to document in the trip is focusing on the similarities between waters that we can find in Japan and the fish that we can find in Japan and the bugs and the, the kind of rivers and fish and that kind of thing that we can find in other countries because uh, they're not that different. They really are pretty similar. And um, I kind of had a thought today, you know, because one of the f- streams that I fished uh, reminded me of something that I fished out in Wisconsin, actually, in the Driftless area. Uh, so this morning, we left the, the hotel at around 8, uh, actually 7.30. Went to a little stream, it was raining a bunch, uh, so we didn't expect to fish a lot. I actually wanted to be capturing videos, but they insisted that I fish, <laughs> so I obliged. And the stream really reminded me of something in the Driftless area. And then I kind of had this thought of, uh, just a little tip, try to go fishing in as many places as you can because, you know, it's. Uh, I think fishing is all about experience. And the more experience you have, the more you can apply your past experiences to new situations, new locations, and so forth, without feeling like you're learning something completely different. Um, Of course, easier said than done, but I was very happy that not too long ago, I got to fish that stream in the Driftless area, and I got in today, and I was like, wow, this reminds me a lot of that, and... um, and I fished it just like it. And of course, I caught fish as well. I'm not saying you have to have those experiences, but just something that uh, occurred to me that having a wide experience in a vast con- variety of conditions and waters uh, can come in handy. Um, so what else is there to talk about? So one thing that actually has been bothering me a lot um, and... You know, it's kind of hard for me to say, but I think a lot of people have already noticed that, um, and I wanted to bring it up today, is essentially just how poorly the Japanese anglers treat the fish, you know, and that's that's being a little bit of a downer on this trip, uh, as it usually is, but I think um, it's just kind of becoming more and more infuriating <laughs> every time I come and I go fishing with anglers, and I'm so used to being in an environment being a with a group of people that really honor the the trout that they catch you know they'll wet their hand before handling them they'll handle they'll bring them in quickly um you know oftentimes just barbless hooks release the fish very quickly and really we try to do everything we can um in the people that with the people that i fish the most with uh to minimize any harm to fish and I come to Japan, and it just uh, absolutely breaks my heart every time. And I've tried to speak to anglers here, but you know, it is just something that is just—it's pretty sad, you know. And I think it's kind of a—it's an interesting. Um, what can, how can I put it? I think it's—it uh, goes hand in hand with how uh, people usually, you know, think of the fish. Usually, they think of the fish as food. That's why there's so much catch and keep in Japan, and that's why so that's why so many streams in Japan don't have a whole lot of fish. Um, 
but then you know it kind of translates into the micro kind of aspects of it where even people that um that are catching and releasing fish they just don't really seem to know any better or don't care i'm not sure what it is but every time they catch a fish doesn't seem to matter <laughs> how small they are you know sometimes they'll just catch a fish and they'll keep it on hook forever trying to take a photo and i keep bagging them please release fast release quick <laughs> and sometimes they hear uh, it helps when i'm filming when i have the camera rolling i tell them please release quick <laughs> so that i can try to get at least the footage uh without seeming like they're absolutely torturing the fish but they kind of are so that's it's a little bit of a pet project of mine to kind of work on catch and release in japan uh trying to promote that when i come here uh and i think i um I think I've done that for the last several years, trying to kind of educate people on how to be better about treating fish. And that's one thing that I uh, have loved, having the opportunity to host people from Japan in America and just kind of show them better ways to honor the fish so that the fish are going to live another day so that they can catch them again and so forth. Um, that's it for my little rant. You know, it's a little sad. Uh, if you have noticed uh, a little bit more nasal than usual, it's because I cut a cold. Uh, maybe that's <laughs> uh, bringing out the negativity in me, but uh, that's what uh, the little sniffling that you're going to be hearing is. So hopefully this doesn't last very long because I have a long trip ahead of me. I've got another uh, 10 days or so, uh, or actually just a week, a little over a week. Uh, so hopefully I get over this because I got more travels and I got more stuff to create for you. Uh, another thing that uh, has been a little tough this time has really been the language barrier, uh, and it's always been there. I mean, this is the ninth time I'm coming here to learn Tenkara. I'm always spending time with people that don't speak a lot of English. Um, about half of the time I have come here on my own, so I have <clears throat> I have had to um, learn how to communicate, and I speak a tiny little bit of Japanese. I really don't speak much at all. Half of the time I've come on my own, half of the times uh, my wife or a friend of mine has tagged along. But I kind of feel like this time has been a little bit challenging because it's it's been myself and three other people for the most part here in Hokkaido. Myself, Dr. Shigaki, Mr. Nakayama, and then we had a guide, Mr. Murakami, uh, joining us. And I communicate perfectly well with Dr. Shigaki. I know enough Japanese and he knows enough English that we get ourselves understood and we seem to have good chemistry uh, when he does speak Japanese he speaks a little bit simpler uh, simpler words that are oftentimes part of my vocabulary uh, but the other two people uh, that are part of the trip um, probably don't have a lot of experience uh, fishing or hanging out with foreigners and for some reason like I especially with Mr. Nakayama I can barely understand a word he ever says and it's so interesting to me because um, in the past I've run into a lot of people and sometimes I can communicate really well with some people oftentimes not as well but with him it's like it's really hard so that's you know one person in a group and then a the guy that we had with us uh, kind of similar when he spoke Japanese really hard to understand him uh, so for three days, it's been a little bit more, uh, I've been feeling a little bit more isolated, I guess, than I usually do. And I have all kinds of questions that I, I really wish this time I had a translator with me because it's been a little hard to 
ask him to find out. But I will have uh, a day and a half of fishing with Dr. Ishigaki again when we return to the main part of Japan. And my wife is going to be tagging along, so she's going to help ask a lot of questions. And I do have a ton of questions for Dr. Ishigaki uh, that um, I hope uh, to get answered. So I'll try to make a kind of interview with him about several things, one of which is... Uh, what I've been noticing, noticing is that Dr. Shigaki is getting his tenkara more, more and more complicated. <laughs> and that's been interesting. I'll leave that for another episode for another day because I want to understand a little bit more uh, of what's going on. But, you know, like all of a sudden his fly box is having uh, nymphs and dry flies. And part of it might be going to a different area. People told him that, you know, that's kind of what he needed. But I kind of had a suspicion that his trips to the U.S. and people giving him all these flies and and the fact that now he's retired and he's fishing a ton, maybe he's got a little too much time on his hand, he's complicating his fishing a little too much. And it's a little bit hard for me to watch that because it's like we've been to places where he's insisting that I change flies. And I was like, what? We've been fishing together for 10 years and you've never asked me to change flies. You've always had this flies okay. And... And that's been pretty tough to kind of <laughs> to deal with. It's a new feeling uh, having my teacher that told me not to use a bunch of flies, telling me to change flies. Um, and same thing kind of goes with the guide. Uh, so the guide that has been taking us around, he's not a uh, Tenkara-specific guide. He's a fly fishing guide. And we've been getting to different waters, and he's insisting that I use whatever flies. And in reality, like oftentimes... Oh, uh, you know, I'll take their fly. What I've learned, one little insight that I've had is never say no to a fly. If somebody's offering you a fly, take it. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, first of all, you know, you want to listen to them. You want to give them, you know, the, uh, you want to understand where they're coming from. You may pick up a fly that really is making a difference. Uh, so never say no to a fly, and I've been doing that. I've been trying all kinds of flies that they throw at me because I don't want to be rude. And it's really very, very tricky here in Japan, especially when you don't speak the language. Um, it's really tricky to go against, you know, the word of your teacher or a guide. I mean, the the people here are kind of uh, educated since they're kids not to defy, not to... Um, not to disagree with a teacher or uh, somebody uh, who's trying to show them around and that kind of thing. So the times that I've tried to disagree, I've noticed it's really tough. There's like some kind of tension that immediately rises and I don't want to be, you know, very disagreeable. So I've been saying yes to all the flies, Uh, but I'll try those flies for a little while and then maybe I'll catch a fish with them, maybe not. But after a little while, I'll change flies and I'll use use my usual Sakasa Kebari, you know, style Tinkata fly. Um, and I'll catch fish as well. And then I'll, and I'll make sure to tell them, it's like, oh, I changed flies and I, I caught it on a Sakasa Kebari. Again, I have not really seen the uh, difference in the numbers of fish that I was catching with uh, the flies that they're throwing at me versus what I was using versus what they were catching. It's been really very, very consistent among the three of us. Um and with whatever fly I've been using. So I'm still a very strong believer that technique is very key. 
Um, as I think I might have mentioned before, like I'm not going to say that a fly, one fly is going to work all the time, but about 99% of the time is my estimate so far. And this trip to Hokkaido did not break that. Um, I'm going to have to understand a little bit more why Dr. Shigaki is kind of starting to change flies a little bit. I'm afraid that people have taken him to the to the dark side. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm really curious to see what's going on because it's not making a difference. Um, and that's another thing, too. Like, I'm... Um, it's been very interesting being guided around uh, on this trip. Uh, it's the first time that I'm coming to Japan that we're actually working with a guide uh, to take take us to different waters. Um, Dr. Shigaki has been to this area a couple of times, but he doesn't know it a whole lot. Um, and we rely on the expertise of a guide to show us around because we don't have a ton of time. I mean, it's only three full days of fishing. Uh, so we really have to maximize that. And a guide really adds a lot of value. But at the same time, I'm really not used to it. And the guy didn't know me, uh, doesn't really know where I'm coming from kind of thing. So it's um, uh, I'm finding very challenging. He might just be that particular guide, uh, but I've been finding very, very challenging to be guided around, being told to change flies when I really don't believe I need to. And then sometimes being pointed to uh, waters that are super obvious. And it's uh, that bugs me a little bit because... Um, I don't know if it's condescension or what it is, but it's like, I know that's the water. It's really, really clear. That's the main pool in this whole run. (laughs) So that's kind of being a little bothersome. And then, like, I think getting around with a guy, too, um, where we really just don't stop when I wish I could. Uh, We don't fish when I wish I could. I'm just not used to that. I I usually have a ton of independence. Uh, Usually I have my own car or I'm with somebody just one other person and it's easier to ask to stop but it's a small group and a guide makes it very tough um, so I kind of feel like I missed a few opportunities to get some nice footage when I was driving around but it's okay I'm learning learning how to be guided and that's important um, and but I think Hokkaido it's one of those places, kind of like Patagonia, you know, like in Argentina, in Chile, in Alaska. It's one of those places that I believe lends itself super well to coming here, renting a car, and just driving around and figuring the streams out. Because you see them on a map, and yeah, you might waste a little bit of time on places that don't have a ton of fish, but public access in Japan is incredible. Uh, you can drive on the little roads through farms we've done that a couple of times you can walk through uh farms pretty much anywhere you want to it's very very rare to see a stream that is closed off you can stop anywhere to see a stream walk a little bit through some uh areas and you can fish them so it's one of those places i really want to come back to this is my first trip here one day i'm going to come back here rent a car for a little bit more of an extended period of time and go explore because i think that's going to be a ton of fun um and next time my wife might join me and uh, have a little less communication problems as well uh one thing hokkaido too to be aware of is that there are there is a lot of a lot of possibility of bears. Uh, we have not seen a single bear uh, so far, but mostly that's probably because everybody in my group, except for myself, carries a little bell on their belt. Uh, so the bell is constantly ringing, and I'm actually really happy to be in a hotel room right now, taking a break from the bell clinging 
uh, clinking noise. Uh, it's actually kind of started getting to me at the end. It's like really kind of annoying, but um, I guess I can say kept the bears away because we didn't see a single one, and that's usually a concern here, um, bears. So be aware of that if you do come fishing, if you go explore on your own. Uh, and the Japanese bears can be very vicious. I'm not sure if they have the same bears here. I, I'm guessing that they do. Um, the they're, the Japanese bears, at least in the Honshu, the main island of Japan, they tend to be a little bit smaller, but very aggressive bears. And I remember this one time, um, I was visiting Margaret's, my wife's uh, grandparents in Yamagata. And uh, that was actually my first time fishing in Japan, I believe it was. Or maybe it was my second time. Uh, but we were visiting with her grandparents. Her grandfather took us out fishing one day. We came back, and in the news that evening, there's a report of three people that were just about, I think it was like 20 kilometers away in a different hilltop, and they were looking for chestnuts. Uh, they were dropping off the trees, but the three people got attacked by one bear, and they all got pretty badly uh, mauled. And that was really not that far from us at all. Uh, and we, you know, that bear could have been 20, 20 kilometers uh, southwest, and he would have been right where we were. So <laughs> we were very lucky. Uh, the bears here tend to be aggressive, but little bells, I guess, keep them away. Um, so I think that's it for today. I'm going to shut off here. I'm going to go to the onsen uh, right now. It's, uh, it's around 6 o'clock right now, my time. Uh, here, six o'clock in the afternoon, evening. I'm gonna go to the onsen for a little bit. There's a lot of hot springs, pretty much like the rest of Japan. Uh, if you drill a hole in the ground deep enough, you're gonna find hot water. So, a lot of places, especially places that have more uh, visitors, will have hot springs. And um, there's one just downstairs. So, I'm gonna go there, chill out for a little bit. I am staying in a tatami-style room, and I've got a nice tea set here on the table uh, in front of my microphone. So I'm going to go use the onsen, have a little bit of tea, and then go out for dinner with uh, the rest of the crew in a little bit. Uh, let me know if you have any questions about Japan, uh, anything you'd like to learn. I'll try my best to, uh, to go research it, to try to find it, to ask people around. Uh, or just let me know if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, if it's something that I should do it again every time that I come here. Uh, but that's it today. Uh, if you want to leave a comment at tenkadiose.com forward slash podcast, just look up the Japan cast uh, page where it's going to have all the episodes that I'm posting. Uh, and I'm going to try to upload some photos there as soon as I'm uploading this uh, episode. Any questions, any comments, anything you want to share, please post in there. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hopefully this was not a waste of your time. Hopefully you're enjoying this. And um, I'll probably be posting my next podcast episode around July 1st, uh, where I'm going to have had at least one day of fishing with uh, Jeremy. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be from the Gifu Prefecture of Japan, where I'm usually usually used to fishing, uh, although I am checking out a new area, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, hopefully, we'll catch a lot of fish there. All right, guys. Until next time on the Tenkara Cast and on the Japan Cast. And I'd like to extend a special thanks to Nico Gala Takenobu for allowing us to use his music in his podcast and our videos. This song is called Deeper Than a Vine, and you can check out his music at takenobumusic.com or 
or also look up our new playlist in Spotify and cut a tunes and you find a lot of these songs in there. Wow, a little update from the onsen, the hot spring. I uh, just about scalded my legs raw. It's uh, I've never experienced something as hot as that before. Uh, I do consider myself a little bit of a hot spring veteran. It's one of my favorite things to do when I come to Japan uh, multiple times, sometimes in a day. And I do have a hot pool and a hot tub at home. And, I, um, and the thing about the onsen hot springs is that First, you clean yourself, you shower or kind of uh, wash yourself, and and then every time you step into the the pool, the uh, the onsen pool, it always feels very hot. And then you kind of give it a few seconds, stuff it out, and then it starts feeling good. You start sitting into it, using your body into it, and it always feels great. I made the mistake of just kind of going with my legs in. And I try to tough it out for a few seconds, and my legs are red right now. <laughs> Never experienced something that hot. My experience with uh, hot water tells me that that was probably about 110 degrees, or 108 at least, uh, which would be like 42, 43 uh, Celsius. Really, really scalding hot. And uh, I just immediately hopped out of it when I realized that I... It was not going to get any better, and I found a spigot to allow me to turn the cold water into it and uh, cool it off. I, uh, yeah, I've never had that happen before, so be aware, be careful. Um, and before you ask me which uh, hotels I'm staying, if I have any recommendations, I should say that I don't. <laughs> uh, neither of the hotels that we've uh, stayed here in Hokkaido have been very good. So, uh you know, just do some researching uh, online and you're probably better off. There's plenty of places to stay. Uh, the shores of the lake here, Lake Ankan, are uh, full of hotels. So it's uh, that should not be a problem at all to find a place to stay. All right. Until next time on the Tenkara Cast. <laughs>